Hey guys, good evening. It is Tuesday, July 28th, 2020, and welcome to episode 20 of the podcast. So today I'm going to tackle a subject that's definitely uh, it's going to be a bit controversial. Um, it, it deals with rich people and taxes, and of course that can kind of be a third rail uh, these days, especially as we get ready for another election and we have uh, competing tax priorities from both candidates and so forth. And I really want to, I, I want to lay out this particular concept that I'm going to talk about today um, in, in a very apolitical way. I just want to sort of talk about this uh, in the sense of this is just how it is right now. This is kind of reality. And, you know, and, and whether we agree with it or disagree with it or want it to change or don't want it to change, the first step in any of those scenarios is just understanding how it works right now, right here. So that's kind of, I just want to set the table on that first um, before I go into any, any depth on this. And um, th- so the concept that I'm going to talk about uh, is called buy, borrow, die. Okay, so it's buy, B-U-Y, borrow, die. Okay, now I came across this concept, I believe it was around later portion of 2016. And the reason I'm able to triangulate that is because in the summer of 2016, I'd set out on this mission to look at, you know, legal and legitimate ways to lower my taxes as a consultant. And that's, of course, when I ran into the S-Corporation election, which I I did a whole episode about a few episodes ago uh, that you guys may have listened to. And after I had had discovered that that tactic, the S-Corporation election, um, it was be- part of the reason was because I discovered Tom Wheelwright, and Tom Wheelwright, uh, you know, runs the uh, accounting firm Provision in Arizona, and wrote the book Tax Free Wealth, which I read in a single weekend in August 2016. And after I consumed that that content from him and started to learn more about taxes and and uh, legitimate strategies for lowering taxes, uh, I sort of kept pulling that thread and eventually ran into this concept: buy, borrow, die. And I did that by just Googling, you know, how do people lower taxes or how do people reduce taxes or, you know, and of course I was looking for legitimate, honest ways to do it. Um, And so this was one of the results that ended up coming up. Now, I actually think to back up on that, while I did all that research, one of the things that allowed me to search effectively for it was because I'd heard an interview, actually was on YouTube, but it was audio only, I believe where it was Tom Wheelwright, Robert Kiyosaki, of course, wrote Rich Dad, Poor Dad, and Professor Edward McCaffrey, who I believe teaches at Stanford uh, and is a tax expert. I mean, he's a tax policy guru and has a website and all this kind of stuff. And so the three of them were talking about taxes, and in particular, uh, they were talking about buy, borrow, die. Okay, now you have to remember in, in the fall of 2016, it was a few months before that election, course, Trump was running as, you know, the rich guy and the billionaire who, you know, bragged about lowering his taxes or paying no taxes. So they were kind of talking about that subject against that backdrop. Okay. So, so I'd heard it there first. And then I went out on the internet. I just started digging up like what's buy, borrow, die. Who's Ed McCaffrey? You know, the whole, the whole thread got pulled at that point. So I just want to clarify that. But, but, you know, one of the reasons I even wanted to talk about this on today's episode is because, um, I also published an episode recently and put out some content on my social platforms about um, uh, candidate Biden proposing a tax plan that would eliminate 
uh, a couple of different provisions that really benefit real estate investors. I mean, one of them is very specific to real estate and the other one is helpful to real estate, but other uh, types of investing as well. So the one was the 1031 exchange and the second one was the stepped up basis. So I believe I covered those a couple episodes ago. Um, and I can't remember exactly how much detail I went into both of them. I mean, obviously, I would have explained those concepts. But but the point is that with the, the next election, the 2020 election coming up on us and taxes coming back into view as, as a major talking point, um, it's, it's worth revisiting this buy, borrow, die concept. Because what I want listeners to understand is why most of these tax policies, if not all of them, uh, essentially do not address the central problem, meaning they don't end up creating any more tax revenue on very wealthy people. When I say very wealthy, I mean, you know, tens of millions of dollars and up. Okay, now, to back that point up for a second, there are people who make a lot of money in the United States who I would not necessarily consider very wealthy. And the only reason I'm saying that is because they're working for their income. Okay, they're trading time for their income. And their income may be very, very high. Okay, they may be a lawyer making $1,000 an hour. They may be a doctor making $900,000 a year. But they're applying labor and time, and in many cases, a lot of stress, and trading that for those very high incomes. Okay, that's not who I mean when I say very wealthy. Okay, when I say very wealthy, I mean somebody who basically isn't working anymore, doesn't have to work anymore. They own a business, they own property, they own massive stock portfolio, or all of the above, or their heirs own those things because it's been passed on to them, and they can literally live off the income that's generated by those assets. Okay, so if they work, it's an option. They can also say, no, I don't want to work. You know, there's plenty of income here, right? That's really who I'm talking about when I say very wealthy. Okay, and these are the individuals that, um, you know, that, that kind of come into this discussion for buy, borrow, die. And these are the individuals who if effectively, at least to date, I'm not saying it is always going to be this way. I mean, things could change. But to date, these are the people who have enough money, enough power, enough influence to keep the tax code generally in favor of the way they take their income or make their money. Okay, so any attempt to change what I'm about to describe, they have the power and the ability to blunt that from happening, okay? Um, or it just isn't even on the table to begin with. It's, it's not understood well enough or it's not proposed uh, in any tax plan or tax law. So the way that they make their money is untouched, okay? So it's one or both of those things that keep this perpetuated, okay? Again, could change in the future and there is one element of the Biden tax plan that could change what I'm about to describe. So, with all that preamble out of the way, um, let's talk about buy, borrow, die. So basically, and I'm going to read you, you know, McCaffrey, it looks like he assembled, I hadn't looked into him in a while. I looked into him before I started this podcast just to kind of get a little bit of a refresher on him and what he was doing these days. But he's got a website called thepeoplestaxpage.com. It's all one word, peoplestaxpage.com. And they also have that handle on all social media platforms like Twitter, Instagram. I think they have a Facebook by that. So you can go find this group in a lot of places, wherever you want to consume their content. But, but I was primarily looking at their website. Um, and it looks like he's assembled a team of a handful of people who are sort of taking his teachings and what he knows about the tax code. And they're sort of translating it 
into sort of everyday explanations for you and I, right? They're, they're, they're putting together textual explanations that are fairly simplified and kind of walk you through the whole concept, the buy, borrow, die. And there's also some kind of funny YouTube videos that I saw on their, on their website that are kind of, kind of goofy, kind of off the wall, but also attempt to sort of break down these concepts into, into simplified narratives, uh, you know, accurate, simp- simplified narratives. So, you know, so, so, I, so I looked into McCaffrey and, and what he was doing, kind of got a little refresher on it. And I'm going to read from that site uh, step by step. But at a very high level, when we talk about buy, borrow, die, what we're really talking about is, and when we're talking about, obviously, we're, we're describing this from the central point of the, of the wealthy person, okay, from their perspective, right? So they essentially buy an asset, okay? That, that's the buy part, okay? And the asset is something that, generally speaking over time, is going to appreciate, okay? It's going to appreciate in value, okay? Uh, you know, whether it's, you know, straight line, you know, goes up every year, or, um, you know, whether it's kind of staggered over time. The point is, over a long period of time, it's expected to go up in value. Okay, pieces of property, a stock portfolio, you know, whatever the case may be. So they buy an asset. As that asset is appreciating, rather than pulling out the interest, right, the, the piece that's, that's, gain, that's the gain, rather than pulling that out and being taxed on it, they simply borrow an equivalent sum from a bank. So now we're doing the borrow part. Okay, they borrow an equivalent sum from a bank and live off of that instead. The interest, the gains, pile up untouched, untaxed, until they die. That's the third part. So they go ahead and die, and then they take those assets and they pass them on to their heirs, who, when the heirs receive those assets, they are treated with what I covered in a previous podcast, a stepped-up basis. So if that asset was acquired at $1 million, and by the time the person dies, it's worth $10 million, then their heirs receive it at $10 million. Not at $1 million, but at $10 million. So the $9 million of gains are effectively washed away and not taxed, right? So the, the, the asset appreciated in value by $9 million, but it is washed away that gain is washed away and the heirs pick it up at the new value. Okay, so that's the buy, borrow, die. Buy an asset, borrow against the gain. Don't touch the gain, borrow against the gain and then die and pass on the whole package to your heirs so they can start the cycle over again. Okay, so let's take a look. I'm actually going to read some of this to you guys. Uh, it won't be word for word of the whole thing, but I want to give you some chunks out of the website. It does a much better job of explaining it than I just did. Okay. <laughs> but, but, but understand the central conceit here behind all of this, okay, before I read this stuff, is that loans, money that you've borrowed from a bank, is not income. Therefore, it's not taxed. Right. If I go to a bank right now and let's say some bank, you know, recklessly (laughs) gives gives me five hundred thousand dollars. Right. Just cuts me a check for five hundred thousand. I can live off that five hundred thousand as if it's my income, but it's not income. It's a loan. So it doesn't get taxed. You see, 
So I, I live as if I make $500,000 a year because they just gave me 500000 okay, or however fast I spend it. I mean, maybe I can make it last longer than a year or however long, right? But I get the 500000 and it's not taxable. In fact, it doesn't even show up to the IRS. It's not, there's, there's no line item for debt that I've taken on, that I've personally taken on like that, okay? So basically... If you understand that, if you, if you realize that debt isn't taxed, then you're well on your way to understanding why rich people don't pay, I mean, very wealthy people don't pay tax and probably never will, okay? So let's get to, let's take a look at the website here. Um, okay, so, you know, I'm on people's tax page. By the way, it's not peoplestaxpage.com. I think I said .com earlier. It's actually peoplestaxpage.org. Okay, so just, I think it's a 501c3 nonprofit, actually. So it's, you know, it's definitely a little bit more official than I, than I made it sound. Okay, so they have a bunch of different pages on this website, but I'm on the page that essentially summarizes buy, borrow, die, okay? So they're going through it step by step, and then we're in the section where it's called, you know, the pledge or, or the buy portion, okay? So... Uh, they, they actually have an interesting, they have an interesting title for the person who's the wealthy person. They call him the patriotic American citizen. Okay, so obviously there's a little tongue-in-cheek, a little sarcasm that you're going to pick up here. This is this is not done without some dark humor, and you guys should you pick up on that as I read you this stuff. But anyway, they say our patriotic American citizen takes their hard inherited wealth and buys appreciating assets. $10 million inherited will usually provide at least $600,000 in gains, because that's, you know, about 6%, okay? Approximately $300,000 of which will be saved so that the fund grows with inflation, leaving $300,000 of income, right? So they're taking the $600,000, the 6% gain, and, you know, 6% is very realistic. I mean, that's, that shouldn't be too hard to do off $10 million to pull in $600,000. So you then take the six hundred, you leave three for inflation purposes, right, to cover that, and then you pull out the other 300, right? Or you have, excuse me, don't pull out, but you have the other $300,000 in income. Okay, so they finish that section by saying, but that is not sold, right? You're not selling the $300,000 worth of, you know, whatever the stocks or property or whatnot. The first step is buy, not sell, okay? So that kind of finishes that, that section. So in the next section, the turn, borrow okay the second act is also very simple our patriotic american citizen now wants to spend her three hundred thousand dollars in income from above which logically would mean selling the gains and paying 15 percent capital gains taxes on their income the citizen here turns the ordinary into the so the ordinary is spending three hundred thousand dollars in capital gains turning the ordinary into the extraordinary by withdrawing $300,000 in debt. By doing so, she has avoided paying taxes this year on her capital gains because they have not been sold and are therefore unrealized. And she has avoided paying taxes on the debt because debt is not taxed. She has paid no taxes this year despite spending the $300,000 in appreciation of her assets. This part of the trick is repeated every year until it is time for the final act. Okay. The prestige, die. (laughs) 
Okay, you kind of see, by the way, the title of each one of these things where it's the, uh, the pledge, the turn, and the prestige. They're kind of mimicking a particular movie or, or something like that. So being a little dramatic about it with the way they label each one of these sections. But anyway, so now they're in the third section, the prestige, which is die. Okay, so it says, quote, Our patriotic American citizen has allowed her unrealized gains to accumulate over the course of her life. This should mean that they are all taxed when they are finally sold, but therein lies the final sleight of hand. They are never sold. Instead, the patriotic American citizen dies, still owning the assets. At this point, the extraordinary again becomes the ordinary. The appreciated assets are now at a stepped-up basis, washing away the unrealized gains. They are then sold without any built-in taxes, so the estate pays no taxes on the total amount, including not only the initial investment, but also the appreciation of the asset. The estate then uses the appreciation of the assets to pay off the debt. The principle remains. The result, therefore, is a life without taxes. The principal investment provides, through appreciation, additional wealth, which the patriotic American citizen then matches in debt. When the patriotic American citizen dies, the whole wealth is sold tax-free, and the debt is paid with the tax-free proceeds. The principal remains and is invested for the descendants of our patriotic citizen who will follow buy, borrow, die in order to avoid paying taxes on their income from these investments. Okay, guys, so yeah, sorry for that little interlude there. Um, so basically, that, that, that was me finishing off the rest of the, um, the rest of the website, the explanation on how this works. I think kind of the final point there was simply that when the heirs receive these assets, they can go ahead, they can sell, take the gain, pay off, you know, the gain represents the debt, so pay off the debt plus interest, which would be much lower than any tax they paid. Um, and then they have the principal, which they can reinvest in a new asset or assets and start the process all over again for themselves and their heirs. Okay, so it just repeats itself and the cycle keeps going. Now, I think, you know, one of the things that I'm going to kind of talk through this live with you guys here. I've, I've only been contemplating this for about the last hour, okay? And this was something I struggled with for, for a while. I mean, I said to myself... Okay, I get the whole buy, borrow, die thing, you know, great concept, you know, if you can pull it off, I mean, you're playing within the rules, you're not doing anything illegal, okay, I mean, it certainly doesn't seem fair, I think, to, you know, to most people that this is possible, but it, but it is not illegal, right, I mean, we can kind of agree on that, whether it should be illegal or not is a different, totally different story, totally different uh, debate, okay, so, so the issue was for me the longest time. Now that you guys know the concept, you know, the buy the asset, borrow against the gain, uh, die and pass it on on a stepped-up basis, the question was, okay, well, you're taking on this debt, so what is servicing the debt? Like, what is paying the interest, right? I mean, what, I mean, how are you, how are you making payments against this, right? I mean, there's some cost of taking debt, right? Debt isn't just some magical amount of money that falls out of the sky and into your lap, you know, and allows you to live however you want with no consequence. I mean, when you take out a loan, no matter how rich you are, you have to pay the loan back and you have to make payments on the loan, okay? So, you know, there, there's some active year-to-year, okay, or annual consequence, I guess, uh, to doing this. And what's interesting about it is I, I kind of dug this up before I did the podcast, had to go back in the vault a little bit. But in June of 2018, so about two years after I discovered this, 
uh, my partner and I in real estate, we, we were looking at, you know, should we expand the portfolio? And, and if we expand it, how should we do it? And one of the things I'd mentioned to him was buy, borrow, die. I said, you know, are we missing something here? Should we be doing, you know, what, you know, what this kind of describes, right? And so we, we, we you know, and my partner's a very brilliant individual, especially with numbers and math. And we, we put it on the whiteboard and we looked at it and we we're like, what are we missing? Like what, you know, because we, we kept saying, well, something has to pay, you know, has to pay the interest. I mean, something has to make the monthly payments, right? Or whatever term you have to make payments on that loan. So we just couldn't figure it out. So, so I went ahead and I wrote Professor McCaffrey. I actually dropped him an email. His, his email address was in one of the articles that he wrote. And I said, hey, you know, heard your, your uh, episode with Tom Wheelwright and Robert Kiyosaki. You're really interested in what you're talking about here. I came at it very neutrally. I didn't, I didn't act like I was in favor of it. I didn't act like I was against it. I was just trying to, you know, sort of, uh, you know, mine him for more information. And, but I asked this question. I said, you know, what is servicing the debt? And he wrote me back and he didn't really address it head on. He didn't come out and say, well, this mechanism pays for the debt or this thing will pay the debt or, or, or keeps the loop going year to year, you know, in terms of a, of a, of a payment on the loan perspective, right? So, so I, I remember he wrote me back and said that. And then, you know, whatever his answer was. And then I wrote him back with a very lengthy email, which I apologized for at the beginning and the end of the email. But I, I literally tried to walk him through a very heuristic kind of representation of the scenario that my partner and I were contemplating, like in terms of how to expand the portfolio by X number of properties, and it'll cost this much money to expand it, and it'll produce this much cash flow. And I mean, I, I kind of laid the whole thing out. In fact, when I reread it a little while ago, I was like, well a little bit embarrassing that I, that I even sent this guy an email like this and expected him to respond to it and, and to be able to sort of take the time to process it all. So if, if, if uh, Professor McCaffrey's listening to this podcast, I owe you an apology from two years ago. <laughs> but anyway, but you know, it was an attempt to give him all the information. So just in case he was going to answer, he would answer accurately. Okay. Well, bottom line is he didn't answer. But <laughs> the bottom line is when I read it, you know, I was like, okay, this was the central problem that, that my partner and I couldn't figure out. I mean, no matter how much research I did, I couldn't figure it out until I believe, and I'm not saying I've figured it out 100%, but as I was kind of preparing for this podcast, I kind of thought, okay, I think I understand what's happening here, right? So I think it's a couple of things. So first of all, you have to put yourself in the shoes of a very wealthy person, right? I mean, you got to come out of your own shoes. <laughs> you know, I got to come out of my shoes and say, okay, things are different if you are very wealthy, right? So if, if you have a pool of assets that are, you know, 10 million, 25 million, 75 million, 150 million, etc., you're in a different league financially. You are dealing with banks differently than I would deal with a banker, you would deal with a banker, any average listener on this podcast would deal with the bank, okay? The bank knows your financial situation. I mean, they have your balance sheet. They have your income statement. They can see just the, 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 um, the kind of assets you have on hand, like collateralizing the loan, right? If they give you a loan, let's say, let's just use some easy numbers. Let's say I inherited wealth from my parents uh, just in this f fictional theoretical scenario, let, let's say an individual were to inherit, okay, 
uh, wealth from their parents in the amount of $100 million. Okay, so that's the number they have is $100 million. And, and so using that very easy round number, they go to a bank and they're trying to do buy, borrow, die. I mean, they're not trying. I mean, they're, they're going to do it. They know how to do it. Their heirs did it. You know, <laughs> their children will do it. So they go to the bank and like, hey, here's my balance sheet. I'm, I'm worth $100 million. You know, or I have assets in the amount of $100 million. Let's say my liabilities are fairly low. Okay, so still have a very strong net worth. Uh, a strong income statement. I mean, there's cash flow being produced, you know, by the portfolio potentially. Okay, if it's all stocks, for example, maybe it's just some dividends or if it's a rental uh, property portfolio, you know, you may have cash flow coming off of the rental properties. But that's not the important part. The important part is the base of assets. Okay, you have assets worth $100 million, right? So the bank understands the game you're playing. The bank knows that you have these assets that if they give you a loan and you spend that loan and you die and your heirs receive those assets, that they will be in a position to liquidate the gain or liquidate the assets, take the gain and pay back the loan, right? So, so the bank knows that this is how the story ends, okay? So it means a couple of things. First of all, and again, I'm speculating out loud, guys. If anybody has figured this out better than this, I would love, I would love for you to write in or call in or something or, you know, get, get to me on social media. I mean, this is, this is a discussion that I really have been trying to chase down uh, or a concept I've been trying to chase down for the longest time. Okay, so, so the bank knows that you have $100 million in assets. They know that if you perform on the loan, you know, if, 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 if you're, let's say, not necessarily perform on it, but if, you, if, if you're responsible and your stewardship of your assets, then those assets will be there when the time comes for you to pass on the assets to your heirs and for them to liquidate and pay back the loan. So they kind of know that as a, as a general understanding. Okay, so we already covered that point. But let's say you don't. Okay, let's say something goes wrong with the loan. Okay, or with your, with your conduct of your, of your, of your uh, financial uh, situation. They know you have enough assets to cover the loan they're giving you. So let's say your $100 million dollars at 6% means that you have a $6 million gain every year, right? So you're trying to borrow $3 million a year, right? Because in the McCaffrey example from the People's Tax page, they said, you know, 6%, and then you cut it in half because you leave half of it for inflation. So you have a $100 million portfolio. You're getting $6 million a year in gain off of that $100 million, right? 6%. So you're leaving $3 million in, for the next year, and you're pulling $3 million out, except you don't pull it out. You go to the bank and say, give me $3 million. So the bank is okay with you borrowing the $3 million because it sees that you have $100 million in assets and you're producing 6%. So they know you, you've got it covered. I mean, you know, if something went wrong with the $3 million, well, you got $97 million in assets behind it, right? Or even if your assets got cut in half, Let's say your assets were, were, were halved by some you know, market crash or something like that. You go from $100 million to $50 million. Okay, so no big deal. You still cover the $3 million, right? I mean, even as the years go by, 
even as the years go by and you're borrowing three million and then three million and then three million, it still doesn't add up, you know, to, to the total to the total base of assets fast enough. Right? I mean you could borrow three million dollars for ten years and you've only used up thirty million out of the hundred million dollar base of assets, right? So again, the bank knows it has recourse in either case. Either it's gonna get the money back when you hand off to your heirs and they liquidate and pay the loan, or, or they're just gonna come seize your assets, right? They're gonna say, we've been, we've been lending to you and there's a problem for whatever reason that problem is. I can't even picture it because I'm not in this scenario. But they say, okay, we have a problem. Now we're gonna come get some of that 100 million in assets to, to pay ourselves off to pay back the loan we made you, okay? So that's how the bank knows you're good for it because of the base of assets, the sizable base of assets that easily covers the amount you're borrowing because you're not borrowing against principal. You're not saying, hey, bank, I have $100 million in assets, so give me a $50 million loan, right? You're not, you're not borrowing against principal and needing the principal to pay off the loan. You could probably do that. I'm sure there are banks that would do that but it would be much riskier for the bank and much riskier for you because then you have to hope your portfolio goes up by $50 million, right? I mean, if you borrow 50 against 100, then to stay whole, you need to make 50 million in your portfolio so you have 150 million the next year. You see what I'm saying? So it's just too, it's too far a leap and I don't think any wealthy person who's doing this cautiously would ever even consider borrowing against the principal. I mean, I think you'd have to be pretty wanton or pretty reckless to do it that way. So most wealthy people are borrowing against the gain. They're not borrowing against the principal. So therefore, every year, it's a very cautious amount of borrowing and lending that's going on, okay? So then you say, okay, that's all well and good, Chris. I see how the bank gets whole. I see how the bank has faith in the borrower. But aren't there still payments being made? Like, isn't there some kind of payment? Well, here's the payment. Just go interest only. First of all, you're going to get the lowest interest rate, right? I mean, <laughs> you're the best kind of borrower. You have a hundred million, in this example, you have a hundred million dollars in assets. So you're going to get, you're going to get a great interest rate. Okay. <laughs> so, so you don't have to worry about the interest rate, right? Let's say you get a five percent, I mean, I'm, this is probably too high, but let's say you get a 5% interest rate on the 3 million that you're borrowing, right? 5% on the 3 million, right? So let's see, 10% of 3 million would be, uh, what's that, 300,000. So 5% would be 150,000. So for that year that you borrow the 3 million, you owe $150,000 to the bank, right? So you owe about $12,000 a month. Now, if you're worth $100 million, you can probably cover, you can probably cover $12,000 a month, <laughs> okay? I mean, if you can't, you know, you got a problem, right? And, and, you know, as I think out loud, you could even use the loan you took to pay the interest on the loan, right? You could say, I just took a $3 million loan, right? I mean, think about it that way. Uh, again, and by the way, guys, thanks for bearing with me as I literally do this real time. <laughs> I mean, I'm, I'm literally thinking through this real time with you guys. But if you've borrowed $3 million from a bank for that year, okay, so you're going to live off $3 million for the year tax-free because it's a loan. But you owe $150,000 interest. Well, just deduct it from the $3 million. Just say, okay, I have an interest-only loan. I owe the bank $150,000. So what's $3 million minus $150,000? It's $2.85 million. 
So I have 2.85 million divided by 12, right? So 12 into 28 is about two times. So I have about 200 plus thousand dollars a month to live off of. And out of that 200 plus thousand dollars a month, there's a $12,000 payment being made to the bank to pay the interest, okay? So, so that's if, if the bank even requires interest-only payments. I mean, who knows? Maybe they don't even charge you that. Maybe they just say, no, you're good for it. We'll just get it all at the end. You know, we'll get it all at the end, you know, interest included uh, when your heirs pay us back, okay? But, but, but let's say for a second they're not that generous. And let's say they, they actually want the money now. Okay, well then, easy mechanism to do it. The one I just described is how you would probably do it. You just pay the interest only out of the loan, real time, as you were living month to month. Okay, now when the year was up, right, and it's time to take a new loan, you simply renegotiate the term. So you borrow again because the portfolio has gained that year. You know, as that year went by, the portfolio went up in value again, right? So you go back to the bank, you borrow more, you use whatever you borrow in the second round to pay off whatever the bank requires from the first round. I mean, the bank may not even require you to pay the whole loan off. They may just roll the loan forward, um, you know, almost like taking out another mortgage uh, or something like that. And again, you know, forgive me if, if that's not accurate. I'm just kind of thinking through this. But the bank could ostensibly say, Okay, your $100 million portfolio, which you left $3 million in. Remember, we left three out of the $6 million. So you actually had $103 million. You know, that $103 million went up another 6%, you know, whatever. So it's now, you know, one point, you know, one point or $109 million or whatever. So now you go borrow from the bank a little bit more than the last time. Now you're borrowing $4.5 million, right? Because, because you're, you're borrowing the gain. Okay, and now there's enough gain to borrow four and a half million instead of three million. You take the four and a half million and you pay off whatever's left from the first loan. Okay, now eventually, if you do have to pay it up dollar, pay it off dollar for dollar, it'll catch up to you, and you'll have a your lifestyle will dwindle year to year, right? Because the the amount will just go down every year because you're you're constantly using the new borrowed funds to pay the old funds, but. What I believe, and again, this is not from firsthand experience. I mean, it would be nice if it was firsthand experience. Uh, but, um, you know, in terms of just being able to do this for future generations or whatever, I mean, if you're playing within the rules. But my sense is that banks are dealing with individuals like this differently. They're, they're looking at the, at the balance sheet. They're looking at the strength of the balance sheet and the, the, the accumulated assets differently. They know the money's there if they need to get it. So they simply continue. And of course, you know, you're a bank and you need to make loans to make money, right? You profit off of the interest that you collect. So you need to do this. You need to get these loans out there. You want to you wanna lend money to very wealthy people. They're the best kind of customer, right? They're the ones who are definitely going to pay because they definitely have a ton of assets on hand to pay you back. So you're going to give the most favorable terms. And my suspicion is that part of the favorable terms is being able to say to that wealthy person, we know you're good for it. You can keep borrowing every year, make your interest payments if they even require that. And then when, when, the, when the whole gig is up at the end, we know the money is going to be there 
uh, for, your, for your heirs to liquidate and pay us back, okay? So they can see that kind of extrapolated out just by looking at your financial statements, right? Now, if let's say along the way, so the trapdoor for the bank is, because the bank is, you know, they're, they're, they're looking out for themselves. So if they see, let's say, when you come back to borrow again, that your asset base is shrinking, they may change course with you. They may say, well, hey, last year you had 100 million in assets, now you have 50 million. Okay, so, so your asset base is shrinking, you are becoming a greater risk to us, therefore we're not going to lend to you as favorably, right? They always have that option year to year. I mean, especially if you're coming back one year at a time. And that's a scenario we didn't even talk about. I mean, what if you don't have to come back every year? What if it's like, hey, here's a loan interest only for 10 years or 20 years, right? And, and we just know you're going to be good for it. You know, maybe, maybe you just have to send in a financial statement every once in a while. Maybe you just have to, you know, meet with the bank every so often. But you basically are able to, let's say, borrow over an even longer period of time, right, on the strength of your assets, and then use that as the basis to go ahead and continue borrowing. Okay, so, so there's some combination of that going on there. I mean, to kind of clean that up for you guys a little bit, I think it's, it's a matter of number one, the bank is dealing with you differently because you're a very wealthy person, so therefore you have a stronger balance sheet to borrow off of, right? So you just get different treatment in general. Uh, number two, the bank knows specifically that your heirs will have the assets in place to pay them back when the time comes, therefore they can give you more favorable conditions. Number three, you're getting very good terms, so you're getting good interest rates, you're getting interest-only loans, maybe you're getting interest, you know, maybe you're getting balloon loans where you're, you know, you, you know, where you're, where you're able to kind of push out certain, uh, certain events with the loan further down, down the line. I mean, it's, it's kind of an interest only situation, I guess, uh, when I think about it. Uh, but you're able to, in, in this point number three, you're able to borrow very favorably in a technical sense from the bank because you can go interest only, because you can uh, defer payments uh, and that sort of thing. Okay. So that's, that's kind of the one, two, three. And I, mean, I guess point number four is the bank knows that it always has the recourse to come get the money from you because you're good for it, because you have the assets. So any change in your financial, financial situation, they will detect that, right? They will have an opportunity to see that happening and they will change the terms with you on the fly and you will no longer be able to do this with them, the buy, borrow, die, right? So they always have that out. Okay, so I think, you know, kind of wrapping it up here, guys, I mean, uh, so this isn't too lengthy of a podcast, but you know, th this is something that I think, you know, this is not the last time I'm going to refer to this. This is something that is kind of the fabric of our society, whether, you know, fortunately or unfortunately, depending on whose, whose, you know, perspective you look at. Um, but it's a reality and it's the way that the tax code is written. It's the way that it's built. And I think that if it's something that people want to change, then, then they have to lobby Congress because Congress is in charge of the tax code. And they have to say, we don't want this to be able to be done anymore. Okay. And part of the way you do that, which, you know, like I said, candidate Biden has put forward is to remove the step up basis, right? So that when the, when the, when the assets are passed on, it doesn't wash away these gains. That's one of the key elements here. That's one of the key things this whole thing turns on is the ability to wash away the gains. Okay, so if that changes, then this whole, this whole approach has to be rethunk, okay, <laughs> by very wealthy people. And it's part of the reason I think it's going to survive, because if you're a very wealthy person and you live by bar, buy, borrow, die, you can't allow 
stepped up basis, you can't allow that provision to change. It changes the whole game for you, okay? So I just I want you guys to be aware of this, you know, do your own research, look into this concept, look into stepped up basis, look into the 1031 thing I mentioned before, look at what Biden's saying, look at what Trump is probably not saying. I don't think he's, you know, he hasn't put any of this forward as a, um, uh, as a change to the tax code. Um, but I really encourage you to look at how it actually works. Like how do rich people, like very rich people, avoid taxes? What's the mechanism and then you'll understand when you listen to tax proposals, you can look out for this stuff. You can say, oh, okay, are they, are they going to change step-up basis? Are they going to change the way a loan is taxed, you know, since it's not taxed right now? Um, are they, you know, they going to do things to the tax code that allow or don't allow, I should say, don't allow wealthy people to use this mechanism, to use this tactic, okay? And if you don't hear them saying it, Right. If they just say, well, you know, if you make over five hundred thousand dollars a year, we're going to tax you more. Well, they're probably hitting the doctor and lawyer crowd more than <laughs> the very wealthy people crowd. Right. Because they're not they're not stopping very wealthy people from being able to use this tactic. OK. So anyway, guys, um, I'm going to wrap it up here. Would love to hear your feedback on this. Would love to hear what you guys think about it. Um, you know, you can write me uh, at CJ Anastasio on Twitter at Christopher Anastasio LLC on Facebook. Hope you guys are enjoying that music in the background. That's <laughs> a great way to kind of finish things up. Um, but anyway, um, so, you know, you definitely, you know, shoot me a note there. Also at Wealth For Real on Facebook uh, for Wealth For Real and also at Wealth underscore four underscore real on Twitter and at Wealth underscore for real on Instagram. And um, yeah, really curious what you guys uh, think about this and what, you know, what you think could or should be done about it. Um, it is the kind of thing that if you're diligent about it, you know, if you're piling up, let's say, rental properties over the course of your life, eventually your heirs can take advantage of this. I mean, it's not closed off to anybody. It's just that it works better the more money you have. Right? <laughs> so you have to have a lot of money for it to work really well. Okay. And the less money you have, the harder it is you know, to make it work. I mean, obviously, numbers-wise, you could make it work at a lower level. I mean, you can always just mirror the, the, the tactic at lower numbers. But the question is, will a bank treat you the same way, right? So if you're worth a million dollars, are you going to get treated the same as the person who's worth a hundred million, even if you're using the tactic at a scaled-down level? And I think the answer to that is you probably aren't. You probably aren't being treated the same way. So, so again, it is closed off the lower down the income stream you go, you know, the income uh, spectrum you go. Uh, so that's why I think it is, there is a level of frustration to it because it doesn't really kick in and it doesn't really help you the way that it is supposed to, the way it was kind of made to help a wealthy person. Uh, and that's probably not even the right wording. It's, it's just, it is what it is. It's an interpretation of the existing rules but that interpretation is more favorable the more money you have. I think I would say it that way um, uh, more accurately, okay? So anyway, guys, thanks for listening. Um, again, check out Buy, Borrow, Die, Ed McCaffrey, um, uh, Stanford University, and uh, let me know what you think. You know, drop, drop, a, drop a note here, some feedback here, or on social media. So really appreciate you guys listening, and uh, we'll talk to you again real soon. Thanks, bye-bye.